right. Well, we continue on now in the book of Acts, and uh, we're in the 21st chapter. Now, before we begin, just one more announcement. Cassie, raise your hand. This is Cassie, everybody, from California. If you're a parent and you have had children here and they have medicine, she has the medicine, and you're to go right after this and grab the medicine from Cassie, right? Sound good? Okay, so we are uh, in uh, the book of Acts, and we are now at the point where Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. And there's a big debate in the church, or at least among commentators, of whether Paul was right to go to Jerusalem or not. Remember, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, the Lord told him that he would be a witness, a, a minister, he would take the gospel to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. But this burned in his heart. He even said in one place in the Bible, can you believe this, that he would rather be accursed himself than have his countrymen die without Jesus. He loved the Jewish people. And here we see that now Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem. And in fact, uh, a couple weeks ago when Xander taught, he talked about this prophet named Agabus who told him that he was going to be bound and put in chains. And despite that, Paul said, I'm ready to die for the sake of the gospel. So there's a debate. Should Paul have gone? Was he in the will of God? Was he outside the will of God? I'll let you be the Bereans in that deal and find out for yourself uh, because I've got to tell you, I go back and forth. But nevertheless, here's something that you're going to find out today. As we are in the 21st chapter, uh, last week we tackled a whole two verses and we talked about why it's important to praise God and what is the power of praising God and what is the result of praising God when we examined verse 17 and verse 18 when he had come to Jerusalem. That's Paul. Paul's going to Jerusalem. He's headed there, man. And he's got some gifts from the Gentile churches that he's convinced will bring unity to the church, financial gifts, and uh, he wants to get it there. And uh, when he uh, gets there, he meets up with the brothers, the, the church. And on the following day, Paul goes into James, the leader of the early church. James is Jesus's half-brother. I say half because James had a biological mom and a biological dad. Jesus had a biological mom and a spiritual father, right? And so uh, that's why I say half. But anyway, they grew up in the same house together. Can you believe that? And this James uh, was present, and they go in, and Paul details, in great detail, tells about the things which God had done. And we talked about how that is praise. That is praise. By the way, if you're downstairs, we got tons of room up here. Don't sit downstairs and eat four more donuts. Come upstairs and be part uh, of the group. Uh, come on up. We'll even, um, uh, you know, the doors are open, so come on up. But anyway, so they get there, and he details. And part of praising God is remembering the things of God, and we talk about that at great length. But I want to keep going now. What happened as uh, Paul details to James and all the elders uh, the things which God had done among the Gentiles. And remember, there were three missionary journeys. 
There were 16 or so cities on the first journey, 22 or so. There might be, I might be off on my numbers a little bit and 18 or so on the third missionary journey. And of course he retraced his steps, but let, let me tell you, that was an all day event. This wasn't something where he summed up in five minutes. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says he told about all the things and he detailed it. And that is part of praise. Whatever the Lord's called to you, if you think that you can remember all the things that God's done, great. Keep proclaiming what God has done in your life and make sure you do it around non-Christians because it blesses those, them too. And we talked about that. But if you can't, write it down. Find some paper or put it on your phone and remember and praise the Lord for the things that he's done. We talked about that last week. But watch this. We didn't talk about this. When they heard it, as Paul now is telling the things in great detail to the early church and especially the leaders, I want you to see something that's really important about Paul, about Jesus, about the early church. When they heard the things that God had done, they patted Paul on the back and said, wow, what a great guy you are. You're an amazing servant of the Lord. And the answer is no, they didn't do that. They actually glorified the Lord. Are you catching that? When they told of the things that was happening in their ministry, and let's take a time out here for a second. There are a lot of people who are famous in the ministry. There are a lot of people that have big platforms to speak about their ministry. And I'll get in trouble because even some people in the Calvary movement, I just kind of go, ooh, when I see somebody say Tim Green Ministries, I just got to tell you, I know, I understand. There are good people who are doing it, but I got to say, when I hear somebody no, nobody's named their ministry, by the way, Tim Green Ministries. But what I'm saying is if I had a ministry and called it Tim Green Ministries, it's not my ministry. It's not glorifying me. What we want to do is glorify God by Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Amen? And so uh, uh, here, look what they did. They glorified God. Now, I looked up and uh, looked up the word there for glorify. You want to write this down. It's doxa from which you get the word doxology. And for lack of a better way of saying it, you know what a doxology is in the Bible and then also, you know, in the, in the liturgy of the church? It's a burst, you hear, hear this? A burst of praise. And you find them throughout the Bible, these doxologies where it's like, woo, it just sort of comes out. Doxology or doxa, a burst of praise. Now listen, I want you to know when you leave here, narrow way people, old people like me, I want you to know what it means to glorify God. Because we are good at Christianese. I remember when I first became a Christian and people were talking and I'm like, is there some secret code that I need to know? Because I have no idea what you're saying. I don't know what glorification is. I don't know what justification is. I don't know what glorify the Lord is. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Somebody tell me. And not a lot of people are equipped to do that. I want you to be equipped. Here it is. What does the word doxazo, which forms the word doxology, or is the root word of doxology, what does it mean to glorify the Lord? You ready? Because let me show you something. Well, I said, are you ready? But now I'm going to take a little turn. Look with me in John chapter 15. 
Look with me in John chapter 15. Guess what, folks? I know the purpose of your life. I'm not some wise dude or something. I'm not pretending I'm spiritually superior, but I know the purpose of your life. And here's why I know it, because I can read. That's all. I'm going to read to you the purpose of your life. And it comes from a very famous verse or a very famous chapter in the book of John. It's John chapter 15. Now this is, you know, just so you know, that very famous, um, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And just tell me what this chapter, without even looking at the chapter, what is this chapter about? It's about, it starts with an A and it has a B and an I. It's about abiding. Why? Because a vine and a branch are connected. The branch plugs into the vine and what's running up and down through the vine? Nourishment, you know, the stuff that feeds the branch. And when the branch gets disconnected from the vine, it dies. And so Jesus very astutely says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Plug into me. Don't just stay beside me and look at me and say, what would Jesus do? Although I like those bracelets, don't get mad. It's not what would Jesus do. It's Jesus come live in me and through me. I need your life to live this life, right? And that's abiding in the vine. And you abide in the vine. You actually participate by reading his word and obeying his word, right? In, um, in John chapter 15. But look, I, I know the purpose of your life. Here it is. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. By the way, your desire will be his desire. And it shall be done for you. Here it comes. By this, my father is glorified. That's what we're studying. By this, my father is glorified. What? By what? what is, how is my, God, uh, my father glorified, Jesus says, that his disciples, that you, it's like he's pointing right here, that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Wow. Listen, the Lord wants you to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Like real love. I was reading something this week by um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? His uh, definition of human love versus uh, God love. You ready? Here it comes. Ready? Write this down. Human love versus God love. Human love is I look at someone like you know, my wife and go, oh, wow, she looks so great. I'm going to love her because then, then she'll love me back and it'll be great. It'll be this back and forth thing. and It'll be amazing. That's human love. She looks good. She's great. Uh, hopefully she, well, you know, that's a big task, but whatever you get it. We love each other in that way. But listen, God's love, watch you, human love. You love people for your sake. God's love who this solves it. You love people for Christ's sake. Oh, now that takes a different spin because the Lord tells us that we're to love who, what kind of people? Enemies, people who even revile you, hate you, who persecute you. You love them back and you say, well, I don't know if I can. Well, you need the Holy Spirit and you recognize that you're loving people for Christ's sake not your sake. You get it? 
Okay, so love, joy, peace, um, uh, all these sorts of fruits that come into your life by being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the word of God abide in you and obeying the word, watch. Why would God call it fruit? Because here's why. Because God wants to make the fruit of your life just dangling there and real heavy, big, so that people will come and take some and be refreshed. And then they won't turn around and say, wow, Tim Green, what a nice guy. They'll say, wow, God is amazing. Get it? How is God glorified? Because he puts fruit in your life. That's one way. But listen, when we go back to Acts, when we go back to Acts, and we're in the 21st chapter, and we say that they glorified God, what does it mean? Just write this down. To think of, to have an opinion about, to praise or extol. But here's my favorite. When you glorify God, you magnify God. Now, what do you do? When you get to be my age, guess what I have to do? And I love to read. Can you believe this? Guess what I have to do? I have to have a magnifying glass. I even have bifocals. I got glaucoma now. I'm getting old. But I, I have to use a magnifying glass. And what does the magnifying glass do to the page? It makes it big. What are you to do when the Bible says you're to glorify God or you glorify God in your life? What do you do? Listen, it's just real simple. You make God huge in your life. Now he is huge. He doesn't need you to be huge, but people see God because you let them see God because you make a big deal about God. You catching that? That's what it means to glorify God, to, to uh, make glorious, adorn, clothed with splendor. How about this? Daxazo, to impart glory to something to render it excellent, to make renowned and illustrious. So when it says here in Acts 21 that these people, these early church, when they heard about the things of God that Paul and his team were doing, they glorified God. Listen, that's wonderful, but you are to glorify God. You understand that? John 15, you're going to develop fruit and glorify God. They glorified God as a natural response to hearing what God was doing. You're going to go around praising God and making him big in your life. It blesses you. It blesses your family. Of course, it blesses him. But it also, when you speak of God in front of others, it, it's a benefit to them. We talked about that. In fact... <laughs> You know, one pastor I know says this, just talk to people as if they know what you're talking about in terms of salvation and blessing and honoring God. And you'll find out very quickly where they stand. And then you'll have amazing opportunities to share the gospel with them. Like, for instance, this is, listen, I, I know my family this week told me you, I might not should say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not easy totally to always understand God, because I always say up here, but, but, but listen, evangelizing is easy, and I'm just going to tell you how. Just speak about the Lord in your speech. Just season your speech with grace. People are listening, and you don't have to be 
knocking them overhead with everything. But if you say uh, they, they start complaining about somebody at work or somebody at home has died or they have somebody who's uh, a drug addict or something in their family, all you have to say is, is this the easiest thing in the world? Okay, you mind if I pray for them? And now you're speaking the language of heaven and you're glorifying the Lord. And they say, have you ever met anybody who said no to that one? When they have a trouble in their family, they have trouble at work, or they have a sickness or health. Have you ever run into anybody that's ever said no? I don't think I have, but sometimes we're just not up to it. Well, let's be up to it. And here, let's just glorify the Lord wherever we go. And here, Paul did it. When he had greeted them, he told them in details those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when he didn't call it Paul's ministry, he called it the Lord's ministry. Oh, well. If you get mad about that or you know somebody that has a ministry, just come up and talk and don't get mad at me. We'll, we'll talk about it. But anyway, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. Now watch in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 15, the church solved the problem for non-Jewish people with respect to the dietary laws and the customs and circumcision. If you don't want to know what circumcision is, ask your mom. But anyway, uh, that's what they did. They, they solved it for non-Jewish people. They said, in order to be a Christian by the grace of God, you don't need to go follow the Jewish customs. You don't have to go participate in the feasts. You don't have to participate at the temple. You don't have to do any of that. And you don't have to get circumcised if you're non-Jewish. That's what they said. And they wrote a letter about it. And they came down and made that decision. And of course you don't because the grace of God says you don't. But here, Paul is now running into, in Jerusalem, Jewish people who still, listen, who still want to keep the customs and get circumcised. So now this is the issue on the flip side of the coin, everybody with me? So he does. Uh, he, uh, James and the rest of them come to, come to uh, Paul and they say, who are among the Gentiles? Or we've been informed that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. Now, if you're a young person here, you're going, why did you take, come on. This is the last day in there away. I'm really tired. And you're in here talking about Acts 21. How in the world does this apply to my life? You ever had anybody talk bad about you and say something that wasn't true? Have you? You ever had somebody say something at work or at school or something, and they said something and it went around the school or it went around your friend group, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, where did this come from? This is absolutely 100% not true, because what we read just there is not true about Paul. He never taught any Jewish person who was interested in Jesus Christ to forsake the customs or stop getting circumcised. In fact, do you remember this? Paul goes on this thing and uh, talks about how he's at liberty or people are at liberty not to follow the customs of Judaism. And then he turns around and he goes, oh, hey, Timothy, we're moving out into uh, Jewish land to do some uh, uh, gospel evangelization. Uh, evangelization. By the way, uh, just side note, I want you to get circumcised. So Paul wasn't against it. In fact, Paul 
would keep some of these festivals. He wasn't against the customs. Remember this? And so when the leaders of the church have been hearing from people that he was teaching that uh, Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to uh, circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs, it's really not 100% true or accurate. So listen, here's the point. Paul had rumors spread about him. Did you see that? There were rumors. These things weren't true. They aren't true. And I want you to see how Paul responded. How did Paul respond? Here's the thing. Sometimes in the Bible, what's not said is just, well, I shouldn't say it this way, but is powerful when you read between the lines. Here's why. Paul never even addressed it. Did you catch this? He didn't stand up and say, come on, you guys know this is a total lie. I didn't do any of this. In fact, those people who are talking about me, guess what I'll say about them? And by the way, who are they to talk about me? I spread the gospel all throughout the um, known world. How could they talk about me? In fact, you don't read anything of that from Paul. What do you think we should do? Ready? Ready? You're going to need this at school, at work. What should we do in response to rumors or gossip about us. What should we do? Well, the first thing I think you should do is you should be very, very, write this down, careful with your own words in response. Write that down. Let me read this to you. Do you know what Christians are called to by the book of Ephesians? Ready? Is this convicting? Do you know how many, do you know how many uh, scriptures there are about what comes out of your mouth? It's everywhere in the Bible. Listen to this. If you have a rumor said against you, you should be very careful about your words. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt, corrupt word, excuse me, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. (laughs) Does anybody else like want to crawl under the table? I do. Uh, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, building people up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. When you speak, when I speak, the thing that we ought to be doing is imparting grace to the people you're talking about. So James, in his book, James, the one we're talking about here in Acts, look at this. James, in his book, says this. If, there's, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, Uh, he deceives his own heart, and it actually says this. This one's religion is useless. Oh, my. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Whoever keeps his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. So I think the first thing when somebody talks about you and it's false is to be careful about your words. I don't know about you. But when somebody, I hear rumors about me and my flesh starts going like this, you know what I'm doing? See, I'm trained this way. It's a blessing and a curse. I'm trained this way. As people are saying those things, here's what's happening. Zoom, I'm going to come back and get you. Anybody with me? So, but here, we need the Lord. We need the Lord right here. And Paul was filled up with the Lord. He doesn't do that. He was careful with his words. And here's another thing. 
Don't participate in the rumors or gossip. Okay, if it's about you, you certainly aren't going to participate. But what if it's about somebody else? Okay. What if me and Cade are sitting there and talking about our son Kai? What if we're talking about Kai behind his back? What do you do then? What do you do? Here's what you do if you're a Christian. Don't participate. Don't participate. Get them to talk about something else because the Bible says this. Listen to this. Proverbs 26.20. You ready for this? Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. Where there's no tailbearer, a gossiper, a rumor monger, there's no, or strife ceases. So what should you do? Instead, bless and pray for them. And bless the person and talk well of them and be a Barnabas and ask the Lord for help. How do you respond to rumors? You be careful with your words. You don't participate. You change the conversation to prayer or blessing. It's bad for you, in fact. Proverbs 26, 22 says it's bad for you. 1 Timothy 5, 13 and 3, 11 says it's bad for you. And I could give you a million more scriptures, but I won't because you're saying move on. And here's the other thing. Don't strike back. Remember how I think. In fact, Proverbs 20, 22 just lays it right out. I mean, right here, is King Solomon wise in the Lord or what? Don't say, do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Don't strike back. Let the Lord work it out. Who here is good at that? Raise your hand, double hand, if you're good at that. Okay, I'm not good at that. But here it says, don't say I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and I'll save you. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 lays it out in the New Testament. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Here it comes, ready? Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, listen, did you catch that? Watch. How come that's not on the back of a magazine when we ask people to follow the Lord? Did you catch what it said? It said, you're called for this. You're called to be a servant. You're called to be one who serves. In fact, so if you do that, some people are going to treat you like servants. Why do you get upset and mad when somebody treats you like a servant when you said, Lord, come into my life, I'll be your servant. But I don't really want to be a servant, I want to be a higher up. That's sort of what we said. Here, Peter tells us, you were called to this. Amazing, right? Boy, do we need the Lord every minute of every day or what? That's what it says to me. So you see that, and you don't see anywhere where Paul says, oh, you people are talking about me. You don't know anything. Watch this in verse 22 of Acts 21. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they were here that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. Now, again, Paul, he could be really stiff-necked and stubborn right here. Anybody here stiff-necked and stubborn? Anybody here prideful? I'm prideful, man. He could have been real prideful right here. Really? You're telling me what to do? And here's what they say. They say, we have four men who've taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. 
But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. There was this thing in the New or Old Testament. Do you know this? Uh, Samson participated in it. A Nazarite vow, not Nazareth vow a Nazarite vow, and you can look it up in numbers. And what they did was, is they shaved their head and they abstained from certain things for a period of time. Sometimes it was for seven days. And at the end of seven days or at the end of their vow, guess what they were required to do? March down to the temple and give a sacrifice. Now, I don't think Paul here participated in a blood sacrifice because he knew Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So I don't think he participated in that, but he could have participated in a wave offering, a drink offering, and some sort of grain offering or something. But anyway, what do you catch what's happening here? They're saying, listen, there's these rumors about you. I would have said, stop right there. Who's saying the rumors? He doesn't say any of that. He lets them tell him what it is, and then these Jerusalem church has the little suggestion for Paul. You ever, don't you love it when people have suggestions for you? It's like, oh, great. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know what Paul said? It was so important to him. This is touching to me. Paul was so free. He talks about freedom in Christ. He was freedom. Do you know Paul was free to eat meat that was sold as idol meat? over, you you know, remember? And he said, but you know, if that hampers or distracts somebody who would be jammed up by that, I won't do it. Remember this? Well, here it comes into play again. I think Paul's not um, opposed to participating in Jewish customs, but really I have to sort of pay for their expenses and shave heads and participate with them. I mean, that's what I'd have been saying, but here's what Paul said. He goes, Okay, I'll do it. No problem. Can you imagine? Paul said in Corinthians, he would become all things to all men if it meant that they would receive or hear the gospel, right? He would become to the Jew, Jewish, to the Gentile, Gentile. You get it? I often say during COVID, if you told me I had to come up here and wear a pink bunny suit, and I could give you the gospel, I'd say, done. I'm being funny, but there was other things people were asking us to wear, and I just said, cool, I'll do it. I don't care. I know that makes some of you mad. Paul just laid down his freedom and said, I'll do whatever it takes for people to hear the gospel. And here he does it and pays for these people. And now watch what happens to Paul. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, by the way, that's Jews who were mad at him, probably in Ephesus. If you read the prior accounts of what happened in Ephesus, the Jews got really mad, started a riot, and now watch. This is what religion does. They became so hateful, they followed him to Jerusalem. That's a long way, people, on foot. They couldn't fly. So these Jews from Ephesus probably saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and they put their hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! 
This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Hit it. We got a picture for you, I think. Can we put up the picture here so you know what we're talking about? Look, folks, this is the court of the um, uh, Gentiles. You could be here. You see this little uh, gate here that was around the temple? If you went one foot inside of there and you were not Jewish, the uh, extra biblical writing said that they would stone you for it. And what's happening here is the people are accusing Paul of taking non-Jewish people through that gate right there. You got it? Up on the temple mount at the temple. That's what's happening right here. And they aren't having it. So they put their hands on him, say, let's get this guy. And what do they say in verse 29? For they had previously seen a guy named Trophimus, the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. But guess what? Guess what? It wasn't true. He didn't do that. So here you get, you got rumors and problems and heartaches and people talking about you. You, you know this, hey, narrow it. Many of you have given your life to the Lord and have surrendered your life to Christ and uh, you've done that prior to this year. Some of you have done that this year and have given your life to the Lord. By the way, I, I don't know if you caught this, but if you were sitting up here and you listened to them sing, ah, it was like heaven this morning. Uh, young people singing, amazing to the Lord. But anyway, um, uh, if you've given your life to the Lord, I want you to know something. It's not all roses and harps and halos. The Bible says that you're going to be persecuted. You'll have tribulations. And here is one of the things that happens in spiritual warfare. The enemy of our souls through people throws fiery darts. And one of the great way to get you off track is to have people talk about you when it's, especially when it's not true. And here it wasn't true. And look in verse 30 and all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, grabbed Paul, dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, folks, We read this and we're in 2023 and you're just, okay, let's read this. These religious people, people who were religious, wanted to murder the man who had given up his whole life for the cause of Christ. Murder him. That's what religion does. It's hateful. What we don't need religion, we need relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal communion with God because of Christ, who's touched our hearts and filled us with the Holy Spirit for service and work in the ministry so that we're doing all the things that we do as Christians as unto the Lord in worship. Don't fall asleep here. We don't need pro forma, outward um, uh, meeting of requirements. Uh, you know, family, uh, you need to, I, I've been examining your financials as the leader of the church, and it seems like you need to be giving 25000 this year. And I'm going to give you a Rito meter, meter so that you make sure you know how much you're giving. And you need to do this because if you don't do, what? That's between you and the Lord. 
What's the Lord calling you to do? It's not pro forma. It's not on the outside. It's what Christ has done on the inside that matters. Look, it brings people, religion brings people to hatred and wanting to kill people. And they drag him, drag him out of the temple. And as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison and all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now here you get a little shift. If you don't know the players, you're really confused. We've been talking about Jewish people who went into the temple areas and drugged Paul out. And now that he's drugged Paul out, folks, there's another type of person who's in and around Jerusalem that controls with an iron fist. And that's the Romans. And that's who we're talking about now. I'm going to put this slide up a little earlier than I anticipated. Can you put the next slide up? Look, Back in the uh, days of Christ, there was a place on the northwest corner of the temple called the Antonio Fortress. The Antonio Fortress was built by Herod, but he was, he, he, he was an Edomite, but it was built for Roman use. And they had barracks in there where they could keep soldiers. And most people believe there were about a thousand hardcore Roman soldiers in the Antonio Fortress at the time of uh, Christ and then here reading about Paul. You got it? And so we're going to shift uh, to that. We're going to start looking at that. You can see the Gentile court is on the outer court. You can't come inside that. And now the Antonio Fortress. And here are these Romans, a commander of the garrison, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, and he immediately took soldiers, centurions, and he ran down to them because it was like sort of like a fire tower. You went up and down it, right? And uh, there were steps. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And uh, some among the multitude cried one thing, some another. So here you go. The Romans are ruling. They don't care what happens in any of the countries that they dominate. They don't care. Unless you don't do these two things. Here's the first one. You got to pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, they'll unleash you know what on them. If there's peace disturbed, they'll come down with an iron fist. And that's what's happening here. Now the commanders, the garrisons, the Romans are involved, and they see that there's some sort of uprising in the city, and they're in charge. You need to know that. So when the commander couldn't ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob for the multitude of people followed after crying out away with him. Sounds just like Jesus, by the way, that was said by the crowd to Jesus. When you look at the gospels, when you follow the Lord, he said it, are you greater than your master? The same things are going to happen to you. People are going to not like you. When you stand for Christ in this culture, I mean, this culture is insane. They've gone out, it's gone out of its mind. It's, you read the news and you're talking about, you're a what? You're a girl? You're a boy? What do you mean you're a girl? What? what? Your pronoun? What? And instead of getting mad, you probably ought to just understand the Bible says this is going to happen and that you're going to stand for truth and people are going to say, ah, you're a bigot. We're not a bigot. You love the Lord and you love them. And you want to tell them the truth. Well, anyway, there's a tumult. He reaches the stairs 
For the multitude of the people followed after him, crying out, away with him. Watch. This is unbelievable. I, I want you to catch this. Don't fade out here. You know what I just said? Oh, man, praise God for the Romans. <laughs> I'm going to go up in the barracks and get a shower. Maybe, some, some, maybe I can read Sports Illustrated and sit on the bed for a while. Paul says, hold it. Really? These are the people who are trying to murder you. He says, hold it. And he says to the commander, hey, can I talk to you? And he replied, watch this. He speaks Greek because Paul's really smart. The language that the commander speaks. And then in 38, it says, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion, led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? By the way, this is extra biblical when it happened. A guy who was an Egyptian led a revolt in Jerusalem and ran up to the Mount of Olives and they captured him and dealt with him and all that sort of thing. So it's real. But Paul said, Wait a minute. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. That's in Turkey. A citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. In other words, I'm Jewish like these guys are. Can I talk to them? Can you, listen, we, we, can you believe it? These people want to pummel him, stone him, kill him. He brought people into the courts that's punishable by rocks to the head, big rocks. He says, stop it. Can I talk to you? I'll do anything. My own training. I'm going to use my own training. I'll speak to you in Greek. What has God gifted you with? Use it for the Lord. Here he uses it. Language. Stop. Can I talk to them? Would you mind if I talk to them? Can you imagine talking to a Roman uh, commander like that? And the commander says, oh, okay. So he turns around. When the guy had given him permission, Paul stood on the uh, stairs, motioned his hand to the people, and when he spoke, there was a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language or Aramaic. Might have been Aramaic because that was the language of a day. It was an offshoot of Hebrew, but whatever. He spoke to them so the crowd could hear him. And I want you to just listen, folks, narrow it. It's fun. You're around your friends. Ten days. Folks, you know, you come here. It's fun. You're around your friends. You can eat coconut donuts and drink orange juice and vanilla coffee, and it's amazing. Right here on the beautiful Monongahela. I mean, come on. But here's the lesson. Pouring out and speaking out and proclaiming the gospel is of much more importance to the Christian than even their own personal freedom or comfort. You want me to say that again? I mean, we got people probably like me, we're thinking about 401ks and when we're going to retire and what kind of 9% financing on an automobile. How can I get a cool looking automobile in this environment? And that's what we fill ourselves up with. And you got Paul getting ready to be beat up on the stairs saying, stop. I want to talk to the people who are trying to kill me. Why? Because he loved them. This wasn't phony. In other words, the representation of the gospel is of more importance than even our own freedom or even our own comfort. Can you hardly believe that? Watch this. 
Look what he says, brothers and fathers. He's, he's, he's kind to them. He's building a bridge to them. These are the people who want to kill him. Hear my defense. Hear my defense. Another, you know, by the way, anybody here ever heard of apologetics? Raise your hand if you heard of apologetics. What do you think apologetics is? What's apologetics? Yeah, that, that word right there means a defense. Paul's not apologizing for the gospel right here. Like, oh, I'm really sorry. I have to tell you the gospel. He's defending the gospel. And oh, by the way, the New Testament says that every believer, every believer, raise your hand if you're a believer. I'm not trying to inter, uh, uh, embarrass you. Every single believer should be ready to give a defense. Same word. You're to be a defender of the gospel or a proclaimer of the gospel, of the gospel that's in the Bible. Not always on TV, by the way, but in the Bible. You're to be a, an apologist in this. And you go, wait, wait a minute, defending the gospel. Aren't those people smart? Don't they know every verse in the Bible? Don't they know everything? I want you to see how Paul defended the gospel. Paul, here's how he defends the gospel. You ready? Just write this down. Paul defends the gospel this way. He tells them his story. <laughs> now, who here, raise your hand, if you could tell your story about how Christ came into your life, convicted you, you repented, and you had faith, and now you've been, yes, you could tell your story, couldn't you? Oh, come on, Narraway. Could you tell your story? Yes, you could tell your story. You could say, I was at Narraway, or I was at my church, my youth group, and this person invited me, and oh, and the Lord came in. You could tell that. Look what Paul does. He gives a defense by telling his story, and he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. He's building bridges. They kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Who knows who Gamaliel was? He was the leading, smartest rabbi of the time. He went to the Wittenberg. That's where I went to college. Or I should maybe say Harvard or MIT, or name the smartest college in the world in the United, or in the United States. This is where Paul went. Paul is saying, I studied, folks, you ones who are trying to kill me, I studied under your most famous rabbi, Gamaliel. And I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And I was zealous like you. I mean, he doesn't say like you, but they were zealous toward God as you all. Yeah, there you go. Are, are today. I persecuted this way, the Christians. To the death, I bound and delivered into prisons both men and women. How, how sick is that? He's telling his story about who he was without Christ. As also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters. I got letters from the religious people to go up to Damascus to put in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now watch. I know I'm going long. Really not though, man. I'm flying for me. Paul tells his testimony at least three times in the book of Acts. So it must be important. I mean, the Bible is economical about what it says. You get it? And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, three times at least his testimony is given. So you can glean from it. And I want you to glean one more thing, narrow way and older people like me before we leave. 
And here it is. Now it happened as I journey here. Oh, I'm going to give a defense. Oh man, I'm so worried. What should I say? Should I tell him this? Should I tell him that? Oh, how about this? I tell him my testimony. So he does. Now it happened as I journey and came near Damascus. Where's Damascus? It's in Syria. It's just north of Israel. I was walking up to Damascus about noon. He remembers, suddenly a great light from heaven shone all around me. You can see this in Acts 9 and Acts 26 also. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. God changed his name. Look, Jesus himself spoke to Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? Okay, we're almost done, but you got to catch this. So I answered, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they didn't hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Okay, let's unpack it and get ready for graduation or moving cornerstone. Those are your two options today, by the way. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Everybody in the world is going to come face to face to the same question that Paul asked of Jesus. Everybody, everybody who's living or has lived or will live is going to come face to face with one question. And the question is, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? You you see, if you're sitting here today and you're just sort of religious, well, religion don't do it. If you're sitting here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he's calling out to you to say, who am I in your life? That's what he's asking you. And the answer is, he's the one that was sent from heaven lived a perfectly righteous life, went to the cross and paid the penalty for all of our sins. All of our sins were imputed to him at the cross. He died, which was the penalty of the law. The thing that the law could dish out, the worst thing that the law could dish out was death. He did it. He died. And then Sunday happened. (laughs) And he rose again, which means he perfectly fulfilled the law, even took the curse out of the law for those who surrender their life to Jesus. And if you count on him there for your spiritual life, your eternal life, if somebody would come to you and say, are you going to heaven? You don't go like this, like everybody in the world says. Oh, I I don't know. Maybe I've been a little bit better. I'm not as bad as Mussolini. I didn't do the thing Stalin did. I'm not Hitler, blah, blah, blah. We all say, you know, you've heard this, right? I'm better than this (laughs) person. You don't get it. (laughs) What you say is, of course I'm going to heaven, but you don't say it in a cocky way. You say it in a humble way, a grateful way, a glorifying way, because you said the father came and sent the son and I've given my life to follow Jesus and I'm counting for him or on him 
for the finished work that he performed at the cross and his resurrection so that now I can live new life. If you say that, you can confidently say, but not confident in you or cocky or spiritually superior, you can confidently say, I have eternal life. Amen. And if listen, but if you've never done that, that's a problem. Because the Bible says that you have eternal life if you have the Son. No other way. I'm the way and the truth and the life. There's no other way. You can't give enough money. You can't be good enough. You surrender your life to Christ. Count on his finished work. And here's the thing. You say, well, wait a minute. You said everybody's going to do this. They are. Jesus is coming back. And he says to us, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But see, you've got to do it now. Remember, there's a place that's a separation from God where they'll, they'll know that they had the opportunity to give their life to Christ. And they said, nah, just take religion. Or I don't want Christ or whatever. Somebody asked me yesterday or maybe this morning, what's the terror of hell? Well, right there's the terror of hell. Knowing you could have surrendered your life to Christ and you didn't. So, everybody's going to face that question. Who are you, Lord? And look, the people who surrender their life to Jesus, watch this. What do they immediately say? Here's what they say. What shall I do, Lord? Like, here, I'm a showing up for duty. What should I do? Listen, that crap that you see on TV that goes, oh, I got saved. Now I'm going to ask you for suits and cars and homes. That's crap. I don't know how else to say it. Probably shouldn't say it that way. It's not true. When a person gets saved, you know what they do? <laughs> they go, you're not acting for me. I'm here to serve you. Wherever you want to send me, wherever you want to do with my life, I want to say yes. If I have to give this up or that up, yes. If you call me over there or over there, yes. I'm in your service. You're not in my service. Do you get it? I know. So that's the mark of a saved person. The mark of a saved person says, I'm showing up for duty. Send me where you want me to go. What do you want me to do? Narrow way, pray about it. What does the Lord want me to do? Where does he want me to serve? How can I bless and glorify him in my school? And then I don't know if you uh, saw this, but we'll end on this. And the Lord said to him, here's what I want you to do. He told him this 25 years or so before. Here's what I want you to do, Paul. Arise and go to Damascus. And when you get there, We'll talk again. In other words, what does the Bible say several times? I'm going to read it to you. Write this down. What does the Bible say that we're to do? We're to walk by faith. In fact, in Habakkuk 2.4, it says, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews 10.38, it says, the just shall live by faith. In Romans, it says, the just shall live by faith. In Galatians 3.11, it says, the just shall live by faith. You get it? In 2 Corinthians 5.7, it says, we walk by faith. Listen, listen. 
not by sight. Philip, great evangelist in Acts chapter 8, had this amazing ministry in Samaria. And God said, hey, I just want you to go to Gaza, the desert. Can you imagine if you're Philip? You're like, wait a minute. We got an amazing church. We got all the new accoutrements. It's painted up. It looks good. And you want me to go to the desert? And God took him there for one Ethiopian eunuch to spread the gospel through Ethiopia. Amazing. God knew better. He didn't know all the facts. How about this one? Abraham. Can you imagine Abraham out Ur of the Chaldeans, just sort of out in the fields one day, and the Lord says, I want you to move halfway across the ancient world. Okay, so what do I do? Don't worry about that. I just want you to move halfway across the ancient world, and I want you to take your family. But what do you want me to do? I'll tell you when you get there. Who here would do that? Well, here's the problem. If you didn't raise your hand, all of us start to walk this way that we're to take steps of faith. We're to follow the Lord even when we can't see. See, here's the problem in American church. The Lord asks us to do something, and we say, wait a minute, I don't have enough funds, or I don't have enough time, or my kids in this activity, or my kids in that activity, when they get done and out of the house, I might consider it. And some of us, if we had to admit it, we want the Lord to not just give us one step. We want us to have the Lord tell us the whole plan. Anybody with me? I'm not really with you on that. I don't care about plans. But some of us do. And you want the whole plan. Who here likes to know the end? Yes. You like to know the thing. You like to know the end. And the Lord says, hey, would you trust me enough just to walk in faith to the first place. And when you get there, I'll tell you. There's this amazing story of Jonathan. Anybody know who Jonathan is in the book? First Samuel 14. You can look at it after tonight or after today. First Samuel 14. The Israelites are butting heads with the Philistines and they're really a thorn in the side. And it's such a great picture of walking by faith. And Jonathan's sitting there under the night sky and he's thinking, you know what? I'm so sick of the Philistines bugging us. And he starts praying to the Lord and talking to the Lord. And guess what he comes up with? He says, listen, I'll put on some armor, shin guards, a little armor. I'll walk out to the camp of the Philistines and I'll call out and make noise. And Jonathan and the Lord sort of agree on this. Jonathan says, but if I call out to the Philistines and they say, we'll come out to you, we know that the Lord isn't in it. But if I call out to the Philistines and they say, come on up, we know that the Lord's in it and we'll go and we'll fight. And it actually happens that way. They say, come on up, they fight, they win a major victory. Now listen, hold on. Walk by faith, not by sight. What are we trying to do here? Look over here. We're trying to equip all of you for the work of the ministry, not just me or anybody on the, you know, the leadership. We're trying to edify the body so that each one of you could use gifts and have a ministry. But problem is some of you won't be a Jonathan. In other words, you're under the night sky and you go, and, and by the way, I do this sometimes too. You're under the night sky and 
you know that there's a battle raging. And you say, or maybe the Lord puts on your heart, hey, put on that shin guard. And you say, well, wait a minute. My kids are too young. Can't do that. I, it, once I save up 50 grand and have that and that thing, I'll, I'll do this ministry. I don't know what it is. You won't even put on the shin guards. I won't even put on the shin guards. Some of us won't. The Lord may be calling you to something. Here, put on the shin guard. Go out to the battle and pray and see where the Lord leads you. Get it? And when the Lord leads you and you know it's it, go and engage wherever it is, whatever the Lord's called you. It could be a letter-writing ministry. It could be a homeless shelter. It could be, I don't know, a prayer team. It could be a million things, whatever the Lord puts you on your heart. It's such a beautiful picture because here's the thing. If you set out in this ministry and the Lord's not in it, well, what would you do? you just go back to the camp and ask the Lord again. No big deal, right? All right. Well, listen, as we close up here, and I think we're going to, are we going to have the people uh, come and worship one more time? Yeah. So come on up. And uh, as they come up, I want you to listen to this. There's several things that you take here from here. We're to glorify God by our lives, bear fruit. We're to count the gospel more important even than our own freedom or comfort because we'll be in tribulation. We, maybe you have to come face to face with this question, who, are, who is the Lord Jesus Christ today? Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I'll follow him. Maybe you haven't. Well, today's the day. So I'm going to pray here in a minute. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I just want you to put your hand up as everybody has their heads bowed. But remember this, a saved person asks what or how I can serve the Lord. And also a saved person walks by faith. Don't sit on the couch of spiritual life our whole lives. What the Lord's calling you to get out and do. So let's bow our heads here. And again, if you've never surrendered your life and you're being asked, who am I, Lord, or who am I by the Lord? I want you to just raise your hand and I want you to ask the Lord with me. I'll help you here into your heart to surrender your life to Christ, to count on his finished work. If that's you, you just raise your hand as we pray right now. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and we thank you for oh, these 10 days with these amazing young people. What an honor and a blessing that you've sent them and their parents allowed them to come here and we could pour into them or our staff could pour into them for all these 10 days. Wow. I pray that there would be eternal results uh, for your whole life. And I Thank you back here that this person here wants to give their life to Christ. Praise the Lord. And so, Lord, all of us in here have come face to face with that question. Who are you? So for that person that raised their hand, just we're going to pray together. We're going to pray this prayer. You just pray, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I know it. <laughs> 
And I recognize that you've sent your son Jesus to come and pay the penalty for my sin. I recognize that. And Lord, I want to repent and turn my heart from my own ways or even my religion or my good moral stuff. And I just want to depend upon you and your sacrifice and your being raised to new life for my spiritual life. Lord, I want to pray that now. Lord, I thank you that your promises tell us that you come into my life when we open our hearts to you in that way. And that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. I thank you for that, Lord. No more doing it in my own strength. I thank you that I live according to your resource and power. Praise you, God, through Jesus by the Spirit. And for the rest of us, I just pray a blessing, Lord, on these young people, these older people here today that we would go out and be an army of saints who are proclaiming the gospel even to people who don't even know they need it or may even hate us. Help us here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.